All right, we've um, sung about him, and now we're going to see him um, in the last part of the series. I want to, um, the service to be about Jesus, and I want to point you to Jesus uh, through Daniel chapter 6. This is the last part of this series, so we're kind of coming in. Uh, for a landing today. Uh, if you're a guest with us, or maybe you're here for the first time in a while, um, you're coming in at the very end of the movie, and I apologize for that. Uh, but if you'd like to catch any of the messages before uh, this one, those are on our website, um, YouTube page. You can, you can find those there. Um, but um, I was, I've told a couple of people this, but I've been pastoring for 20 years, and I have never preached on Daniel in the lion's den. Like, I kind of feel like I need to turn in my pastor card for that, maybe, um, but I want to fix that today. Uh, this is pretty much the last um, of the fast-paced narratives in the book of Daniel. There's one more in, in Daniel chapter 9, but this is kind of the, the majority of the rest of Daniel's prophecy. And we saw in part one of the series that, or we said in part one, that the first and last chapters are written in Hebrew, right? Language of Israel, because this is where it started, and this is where um, it's going, and then the middle chapters are written in Aramaic because it happens in Babylon. Daniel 6 is the beginning of the last chapters written in Aramaic because this is the last account of Daniel shining in Babylon. And, and again, I'm, I'm kind of sad this series is coming to an end. I've really, I've really, really enjoyed teaching through this. As I said um, earlier, we'll come back another time and work through the last half of the book because I know how much you guys love Hebrew prophetic literature. So we'll, we'll get to that um, at some point. But Daniel 6, if you've got a, mo- a Bible or a mobile device, um, the den of lions is about developing the habit of courage. I want us to see... Um, That courage isn't conjured up in a moment. Courage is developed over a lifetime of small, consistent decisions. Courage is a a pattern that you program into your heart. So think about it like this. Um, You know when you start typing something into the Google search bar and it auto-completes for you? Okay, you know what that's like? Drives me nuts sometimes. Just because I searched one time for the current net worth of Zach from Saved by the Bell doesn't mean I want to know that every time I type in the word current, right? Like, leave me alone, Google. But you, you guys get this. You guys understand this. Google knows we follow patterns and it autofills according to how you have trained it. And the same is true with how we respond to adversity how we respond to trials, how we respond to temptation, how, how we respond to those moments in our life where we don't know what to do. Our hearts autofill our response based on the patterns that we've established, okay? And uh, the, the Greek philosopher Aristotle, who actually didn't live that much longer um, after Daniel, said that excellence is not an act, it's a habit, It's not an act, it's a habit. I would say the same thing is true about courage. Courage is not an act, it's a habit. It's developed, go ahead, take a picture. It's up there, it's all right. It's the only time you'll see my name on the same screen as Aristotle, okay? It's developed over years and years and years of repeated patterns, okay? By the way, I did not put that up there. The staff put that up there. I asked only for my name, okay? Okay, so before we get to the text, context. As a reminder, Nebuchadnezzar's been dead for, you know, 25, 30 years. Belshazzar is dead. 
And now Babylon is being ruled by this, this conglomerate of the Medes and the Persians. King Darius is actually the leader in Babylon. Daniel's 80 years old plus, and um, in order to bring some stability to his government, Darius keeps some of the previous administration on the payroll. And Daniel is one of them. We find this in, in verse three. It says, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Again, think about this. Daniel is north of 80 years old at this point. And I'm just gonna say it. Old people can do awesome things. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, Absolutely. Like there's this idea in our culture that you hit a certain age, well, you just kind of need to fade into the background. No, if you're seasoned out there, don't let anybody tell you you're done. If you still have breath in your lungs, God has something for you. He has his ministry for you, he has work for you. And those of you who just can't wait till you retire and you can sit on a beach and drink drinks with little umbrellas in them, what kind of life is that? Seriously, that's, that's the Babylonian dream. It's not the Great Commission. So just because you're old doesn't mean that God can't use you. Verse four, at this, or because Daniel had found favor with the king, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Now just think about this. Election season in our country rolls around every couple years and, and the commercials start to hit the airwaves, right? So-and-so is a liar. So-and-so is a liar. 32 years ago, he partnered with Big Nursery to take a candy away from babies, you know, whatever. They always find something, right? They always find something. They look high and low and can't find anything on Daniel after six decades of public service. This guy is, he is spotless. He's, it's remarkable. He's been utterly trust, trustworthy in all he's done. Verse five, finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. So you got to hand it to them. Their plan they found the weak spot, and the weak spot is ingenious. It wasn't just Daniel's faith. It was also about the king's ego, right? Oh, great, majestic King Darius. Let's, let's, let's outlaw prayer, not forever, just for 30 days. So everybody can see that you are all sufficient, and you can provide everything for them just for 30 days. It's it's pretty genius. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. What's that about? What's that about? The Medes and the Persians had a custom that once a law was changed or once a law was passed, it couldn't be changed. Historians tell us that they came up with this um, to keep kings from passing arbitrary laws because of how they felt that day. Right? So they're playing pickleball with a left-hander and the left-hander beats them. So they outlaw left-handed pickleballers. And then a couple of days later, 
the anger subsides, and they repeal that law, right? That the, the Medes and the Persians came up with a custom to say, no, we can't do that. Once the king passes the law, it's law, and you can't change it. It's to keep them from passing arbitrary laws. What was Daniel's response? Here's, here's where you start to get, okay, this is the point of the story. What was Daniel's response? Look at verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. There's the habit. There's the pattern. This isn't new. Daniel didn't go home and pray because he was afraid of the, the edict, this, this pronouncement. Daniel went home and prayed because that's what he'd always done. Three times a day for 70 plus years. That's close to 77,000 prayer sessions. You see it in chapter one when he's a teenager. Chapter two, chapter three, whenever he was in trouble, whenever he felt threatened, he turned to God in prayer. It was his normal response. So here's a great question to ask of yourself. What's my normal response? What's my response to trial? What's my response when, when my marriage isn't going real well and it doesn't look like it's going to get better? What's, what's my response when I feel like I'm being pressured at work to do the wrong thing? What's my response when my boyfriend, my girlfriend pressures me to do something I know is wrong? What's my response when my friends treat me poorly? What's my response? What's your response? Do you panic? Do you panic? Do you think there's no way out? Pressure's too strong. All my friends are doing. I'll be an outcast if I don't. I'll never survive if I don't do what I'm being pressured to do here. I mean, there's this law of the Instagram and the Twitter that can't be repealed. I don't, I don't really have a choice. Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God is faithful in those moments and will provide a way out so that we can endure. In other words, you look to him, God will always supply you the strength, the wisdom, the ability to do the right thing. I love, I love what Beth Moore says. She says, with God, you're never trapped in a situation with only bad options. Never. Or never, ever, ever. Some of you don't panic. Some of you launch a preemptive strike. This is the, the quid pro quo response. It's tit for tat. It's, it's you, you hurt me, I'm gonna hurt you. You, you come after me, I'm gonna come after you. You're gonna play dirty, I'll play dirtier. It's the survival mechanism for a lot of people in our culture to keep you from hurting me. I'll make it clear, if you do, I'll hurt you back worse. And that'll teach you, that'll learn you. Don't mess with me. It's quid pro quo. From the very beginning of the chapter, we're told that Daniel was distinguished, exceptional, and the king placed him high over the entire kingdom. So you're telling me that Daniel couldn't have gone to the king and said, hey, listen, you're not going to find any dirt on me. I would like for you to do me a favor. And I want to turn the political tables on these guys. You're telling me he doesn't have the respect and the power and the ability to do that? But he doesn't do that. He doesn't panic. He doesn't launch a preemptive strike. Daniel prays. Daniel goes home and says, I'm just going to lay this before the Lord. 
because these are ultimately his problems. I don't belong to me anymore. I'm crucified with Christ and I no longer live. I don't belong to me. I belong to him. All I'm responsible for is what he tells me to do. It's a line from a a song many of you will remember. What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to him in prayer. Daniel prays. What's your default? What's your normal response? What autofills in the search bar of your heart when hard times come, when you feel threatened? Daniel's was prayer. There is peace. There is, there is direction. There is strength that you find in the prayer closet that you don't find anywhere else. Not in yoga, not in meditation, not in a drink after work, not with a close friends. Prayer. Prayer. That's Daniel's response. Daniel prays. And of course, the guys who set all this up, his enemies, they, they run to the king scarcely able to contain their excitement. Oh, great and mighty king, we hate, I mean, we just hate to tell you this. But after you signed that irrevocable edict, we saw Daniel praying. We just so happened to be on the balcony across from his house, looking through our binoculars at the same time, his regular scheduled prayer time. And sadly, right? Sadly, you know the law of the Medes and the Persians can't be changed. So we've, we've prepared the lines. And, and you read the text, it's almost like Darius sees through the scheme. It's like he almost knows. He's, he's, he's upset because he liked Daniel, but he's bound by this ridiculous custom. So he has to follow through. So, king gave the order. Now, I know some of you think that I am um, too much of a hater on cats, <laughs> but can we just take a moment and, and reflect on the fact that a pagan king who, who could have constructed any kind of torture he wanted decided that the most cruel and unusual punishment that he can think of was to trap people in a confined space with cats? <laughs> Scripture speaks for itself. I mean, <laughs> all God's people said. Yeah. Sounds like some of God's people said, but that's all right. <laughs> Middle of verse 16, as they're throwing him to the lions, the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually, underline that word, continually, may the God you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually, you see the repetition of this? Daniel has done this his entire life, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. I find it so interesting that that everyone else in the story is up all night except Daniel. 
Like his enemies are partying because they got rid of Daniel. The king was up all night worrying. Daniel's friends were up all night praying. The angel was up all night protecting and Daniel took a cat nap. I'm sorry, it's there. It's right there. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in God. Why? What saved Daniel? That's the question. What saved it? Was he special? Did God know that this would turn into a great Bible story that we would teach in Sunday school? Was he he foreordained? Was he predestined? No. The text says one reason only. Daniel trusted in his God. That's it. Trusting in God doesn't mean bad things won't happen to you. That's not what trusting in God means. There are plenty of Christians throughout history who were thrown to the lions and there was no angel there to shut the lion's mouth. Trusting in God doesn't mean bad things will never happen to you. Trusting in God means believing he will deliver you through it. Even if that means the lion's mouths open and devour you. Trust in God. The king's command. The men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Why would it be told that the lions overpowered them before they reached the floor? Because just in case we think they hadn't eaten Daniel because they weren't hungry. Obviously, they were starving. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. This, this hit me like a ton of bricks to this, this week as I was, I was preparing. Chapter six starts with a prohibition against prayer. And it ends with a pagan king preaching a message about the providence of God. (laughs) Daniel is a book full of really good sermons from pagan kings. Right? And, And think about it. How did they come to those conclusions? Because of Daniel and his friends living with consistent faith Encourage. It's one of the main takeaways from the entire book. Look what God can do when his people shine in Babylon. Look what God can do when his people shine in Topeka. They shine in Barrington, shine in Burlingame, shine in, in Holton, shine in Silver Lake. Look what God can do when his people shine. It's the verse from Daniel we base the entire series on. Those who are wise will lead many to righteousness. Those who live with consistent faith and courage, they will shine like the brightness of the heavens, like the stars forever and ever. That's Daniel, consistently shining in Babylon. And then, it's almost a throwaway verse, but I don't want us to miss it. Last verse of the chapter. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian, who reigned after Darius. So so, so God blesses Daniel during the reign of two more pagan kings. he, He was bright. He shone like the stars in the heavens, wherever he was, regardless if he wanted to be there or not. He shone. So two, two things I want to leave you with as, as we wrap up. Number one, 
Courage in the lion's den comes from consistency in the prayer closet. Courage in the lion's den comes from consistency in the prayer closet. Daniel doesn't summon up courage the moment he's on the verge of being thrown into the lion's den. His courage was the result of years and years and years of small, faithful acts of obedience and years and years and years of watching God be faithful to him. There's the patterns, the habits that he developed and the way that God came through for him over and over and over again. And I'm no prophet. I'm no prophet. But I will make a prediction about your life. If you wait until the hour of trial to decide what you're going to do, you will fail. If you wait till that moment, if you want to know how or if you'll have the courage to stand when everybody around you falls, that you'll have the courage to maintain your integrity when temptation overwhelms you, you want to know that you'll have the courage to live out your convictions when everybody else says you're crazy for having those convictions, your confession of faith in an increasingly hostile environment to your confession of faith. I can predict all of that. Not based on what you do when that moment comes, based on what you're doing right now. What you do in that moment of trial is not determined by what you think you're going to do in that moment of trial. It's determined by the first thing you choose to do when you wake up every morning. It's determined by the the thing you choose to do before you go to bed every night. It's the thing you choose to do on your lunch hour every single day. Courage isn't built in the moment. Courage comes from consistent habits like a daily time of prayer, a daily declaration of dependence on who God is. That blank, that blank in the search bar of our heart will not autofill with courage unless we've trained it to. Courage in the lion's den comes from prayer in the closet. So first thing. Second thing. Number two, seeing Jesus as the better Daniel is the foundation of courage. Seeing Jesus as the better Daniel is the foundation of courage. One of the, one of the mistakes people make with this story is they turn it into a hero's tale. So we leave aspiring to be like Daniel. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's certainly a lot about Daniel we can learn from, but that's not the point of the story. Just, just personally speaking, if you, if you try to, to copy the example of Daniel or David or Abraham or Ruth or Esther, you're going to end up failing because that's not who you are. That's not who God created you to be. At least that's how it works for me. No matter how much I try, how many pep talks I give myself, I just can't sustain it. I'm good every now and then, I can do it for a couple days, but I did, eventually I fall on my face. But when you see Daniel's story, like all the stories in the Old Testament, as pointing to Jesus, it takes on a whole new meaning. It, it, it gives you the foundation for courage. Think about all the, the, the similarities, the parallels between Daniel and Jesus. Uh, both Daniel and Jesus are pictures of innocence. The prophet Ezekiel says that Daniel is one of three characters from the Old Testament that were righteous. And Jesus lived completely and totally without sin. Um, Both Daniel and Jesus had jealous political leaders drum up false charges against them to get them killed. Both Daniel and Jesus had the primary judge in charge declare them innocent and try to spare them. It was Darius for Daniel. It was Pilate for Jesus. 
Both Daniel and Jesus were thrown into a pit whose entrance was covered by a large stone and sealed with a government seal left for dead. Both Daniel and Jesus had friends run to the tomb early in the morning. And both Daniel and Jesus both walked out of the tomb alive. Lots of similarities. There's one big difference. Daniel eventually died. Jesus defeated sin and death forever. That's a big one. We miss so much when we reduce this to a Sunday school story about being brave. We miss so much. Daniel and the lion's den is not a gentle kid's story because lions are not gentle creatures. Lions are vicious. And the people who live in their proximity know they can't take them for granted even for a single second. The lion's den is a picture of the cross. Psalm 22 says that, that, that on the cross, Jesus was thrown to the lions of judgment, which circled him, taunted him, and then tore him apart. Jesus was far more innocent than Daniel ever was, but before Jesus' body reached the bottom of the pit, he only lasted six hours on the cross. Before he reached the bottom of the pit, he, the lions tore him to pieces. And unlike Daniel, no angel showed up to shut their mouths. Sally Lloyd-Jones, author of the Jesus Storybook Bible, she put it like this, Jesus was left in the blackness, utterly alone and abandoned by God, suffering the fate that we, the guilty ones, deserved. God did not shut the mouths of Jesus' lions like he did Daniel's. He let them tear him apart. His body was left entombed in the icy grip of death for three days before the angel finally came to roll away his stone. When Daniel came forth from the lion's den, he came out alone and no one else was saved by God's deliverance of him. But when Jesus came forth from the tomb, he came out as the head of a mighty company of people who have been redeemed from the pit through his death. Because of the work of Christ on behalf of his people, the divine judge says, not guilty, you may go free. <laughs> if you've accepted that work, if you've placed yourself under the rule and reign of King Jesus, whatever you go through right now, next week, next month, next year, you can know God is standing beside you, standing right beside you because anything that would have turned God against you, Jesus removed at the cross. It's gone forever. It's gone. And if God is for you, who can be against you? If the Lord is my strength and my shield, my light and my salvation, whom should I be afraid of? I don't care about who can kill the body because I have a God who can preserve the soul. God is with me in cancer. God is with me when death takes a family member. He's with me in the pain of betrayal and the sting of injustice. He's with me in every struggle, every frustration, every failure I go through, promising to never leave me nor forsake me, constantly whispering in our ears, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. If God is for me, who can be against me? Knowing that Jesus to whom Daniel's life points is with me, gives me the courage to face danger like Daniel, to be consistent like Daniel, and the greatest part, the ability to get up and keep going when I haven't been consistent. So thank God 
for examples like Daniel, but worship Jesus. Worship Jesus who took your punishment in the lion's den and now promises to preserve you in the den of lions that you face. Through him, by the power of the spirit who is at work in you, you can face anything that comes your way. Learn from Daniel. Worship Jesus. Rely on his spirit every single day. That's Daniel, chapter six. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, this is... um, It lands in so many different places for so many different people. God, I pray for those who um, they're in the den of lions right now or they have a loved one, they have a friend, they have a family member, they have a spouse, they have a child, they have a parent, they have an aunt, an uncle, a grandma, a grandpa who's, who's just in the lion's den. Father, I pray that you would give them the courage or help them to find the courage in their prayer closet. That, that if they haven't, that they would develop the habit, the pattern of hitting their knees, of relying on you, of reminding themselves that they're crucified with you and they no longer live. The life they live in the body is, is for you. It's, it's, it's to bring honor and glory and praise to you. God, for those who... who we, we don't know it, but we kind of do. There's a day, there's a week, there's a month, there's a year down the road where we're going to face trial, where we're going to face temptation, where we're going to face something way bigger than what we can handle. God, would, would you help us, give us the vision, the wisdom to start now, to begin the habits, to begin the patterns that are going to put us in a place to rely on you when that day comes. And Jesus, for those who, who haven't accepted the work, who haven't bent their knee to your rule and your reign in their life, God, would you, through the power of your spirit, draw them to yourself? They can't carry it on, on their own. They can't do it on their own. No matter how hard they try, no matter how many times they, they get up, they just can't do it. God, would you... Would you show them, would you reveal to them that you're a better Daniel, you're more righteous, you didn't die again, you are alive and at work and well today, and you have something for them, something better for them. So would you, through your spirit, call them to yourself? And God, would you help us as your people to shine in Babylon, to shine wherever you've placed us, whether we want to be there or we don't. Would you help us to shine like Daniel did, worshiping you the entire time? And for all of this, we give you praise. We leave this place knowing that you have sent us into this world for a reason, for a purpose. Would you open our eyes, open our hearts to this? And we pray, I pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 That's Daniel, at least the first half of Daniel. We'll get to the second half later. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Thanks for being here. You're dismissed.